0: Just before we come to the preaching of the word then this evening, let's stand as we'll look to the Lord in prayer for his help. Our gracious God, we bring ourselves now to thy feet this evening. And O Lord, we would hear a word from thee. We look to thee, O Lord, that thou would give a vision, that thou would give a word, that thou would give, Lord, something that would uh, speak to our hearts, everyone. We pray, O God, that the pages of sacred scripture would not be closed <coughs> to us. We pray that they would not be a hard thing, but rather, O God, that they would be opened unto us, and that our understandings and our hearts would be opened to receive them. We confess our need of Thee, O Lord, for we are unable to handle Thy word uh, as we ought. We are all able to rightly divide the word of truth. O Lord, we need thee. We need thee to come. We need thee, O Lord, to come and to give liberty and to give utterance, and to give even the help of thy spirit in in these holy matters. We pray for cleansing, Lord, that thou would remove every sin that would separate us from thee, that thou would wash us afresh, as it were, in the blood of the Lamb. That we would be found before thee spotless, blameless. That even now as we come unto thee there would be no condemnation. And So Lord we present ourselves to thee. We pray for the hearer of the word of God. That every heart would be made tender. That Lord it would not be the words of man that are heard. That anything that is said that is wrong, erroneous, errant. It would all be expunged from the memory, it would not have any impression upon the heart, but that which is of thee, and that which comes from Almighty God, and that which is thy word. Mm -hmm. O Lord, how we pray that thy spirit would so deeply impress it upon the hearts of thy people and of those gathered in that they would never be the same again. Their walk with thee would be a more straight walk, that their cries unto thee would be a more sanctified cry that their heart would be full of thanksgiving and praise unto Almighty God. And yea, Lord, that some, some prodigal son, some lost sheep, Lord, some soul outside of Christ in peril for all eternity, that they would be snatched by thy Spirit, they would be arrested in their sin, and they would be brought to see Jesus Christ, the Saviour of the sinner. Come then, Lord, we pray. Oh, give us cause for rejoicing this night, as we sit at thy feet, and as we wait to hear thy voice. For these things we beg of thee, in the name of thy Son and our Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, will turn in God's word this evening to uh, that passage we read in uh, First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 5 Well as has been intimated we gather this evening with this stated purpose of having our thoughts, our hearts directed towards a time of thanksgiving to God and the Bible has much to say about thanksgiving throughout the Old and New Testaments alike We find their songs of praise. We find examples of gratitude. There are exhortations to thanksgiving and there are even those spontaneous times of exaltation under God's hand of mercy and bountiful supply. We may think perhaps of the words of Mary when she had that revelation that she was to be the one to bear the Messiah. She cried out, in praise and spontaneous joy, of course, under the inspiration of the Spirit, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. Oh, what magnificent words of praise. Clearly, in that example of Mary, there was a rich context that was revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. I suppose we could say that the entire Old Testament wasn't one sense setting up that very moment when Mary would cry those words in one sense. But there are other examples of calls to thanksgiving in the scriptures which are not surrounded, we could say, with their own context. But rather they just seem to draw in the entire Christian experience themselves without any need for historical narrative, without any explanation at all. Or text we will take this evening as verse 18 and I would suggest it is one such text we read there in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you <coughs> this text is not set in a nice bed of historical narrative explaining for us the context indeed the surrounding verses Uh, do not even seem to form one of paul's typical layered arguments where he builds up his case by laying argument upon argument uh, before closing it with some exhortation rather it's as though the command just hangs there on the page inspired words inspired truth in their own right demanding our attention Calling us to pay heed to them just because of their own gravity and wonder. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We seek God's help then, coming to these words this evening, to understand the, the exhortation here to thanksgiving. And we'll consider it under that simple title, Thanksgiving. 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 The first thing we want to see this evening is that the primary reason for thanksgiving, the primary reason for that act of thanksgiving, is the gospel. It's the gospel. In our text we have those words, in Christ Jesus. And we're starting here, this part of the verse, quite deliberately as the highest possible argument for a thankful heart. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. In the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul gives a similar exhortation to giving thanks. He says there, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. And he adds, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, over in Ephesians 5. The good news you see of the person and the work of jesus christ is the only possible ground for any true enduring thankfulness among men at any rate it is in christ jesus or in the name of the lord jesus christ that we come to god in offering our thanksgiving there are three aspects of the gospel of jesus christ that we want to note particularly for the purposes this evening. We see, firstly, that the sins, sins forgiven, sins forgiven is a cause of thanksgiving. Earlier on in the epistle, in Ephesians, in chapter 2 of that epistle, Paul reminded the saints there in Ephesus that the very reason of their Christian existence, why were they even Christians at all? He says there in Ephesians 2, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But... God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. This is a grand description of the salvation of the sinner, is it not? One who was dead in trespasses and in sins, yet quickened, made alive together with Christ. And all of it we are told by grace. Look at the honesty here in that description of the sinfulness of the natural man. Dead in trespasses and sins. Children of disobedience. Having conversation in the lust of the flesh. Children of wrath. These are horrific descriptions. And they should make us shudder to think of the capacity for evil in the heart that is in bondage to sin. But now... Paul tells them the child of God has had their sins forgiven in Christ and as a result there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Now they are made free from the law of sin and death. That this evening friends is an immense cause for thanksgiving for the child of God forgiven sin? That this was the description of you. If you are saved tonight, if you are in Christ tonight, Paul was describing you, children of wrath, of disobedience, walking in the lust of the flesh, dead in sins, yet you have had your sins forgiven. You are free from the bondage to sin. You're free from the condemnation of sin. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, is that not a cause of thanksgiving and praise? A cause to glorify the Father in heaven? All of your actual sins, all of those things that plagued you with guilt, that racked you, that pursued you, even your very sinful nature itself. Think of all that potential that you had for wickedness of every sort. And you have been delivered from it all you've been pardoned as far as the east is from the west so far has God removed your transgressions from you but following on from forgiveness for sins there's this second aspect of the gospel that we can note this evening and that is the saint's inherent inheritance in heaven is a cause for thanksgiving That passage in Ephesians that we were quoting, it goes on to say this, that Christ has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is a major theme of this epistle we are in in Thessalonians. In the process of encouraging these saints in Thessalonica, Paul is seeking to lift their minds to heaven at the end of chapter 4. He's speaking of the final resurrection of the dead in Christ. And there he reminds them that those of their number that have died, those children of God among them who have gone, who have left this earth, whose bodies are in the grave, he reminds them that Jesus will bring with him, bring them with him again when he returns. There's vivid language used to describe that final day and the return of the Lord. We read in chapter 4 of First Thessalonians, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. This theme of an eternity with the Lord then. But that's what's foremost in the minds of Paul's readers when they come to this text that exhorts them to thanksgiving. This inheritance is also a theme that the Apostle Peter takes up. He takes it up as his own particular cause for rejoicing in 1 Peter 1. Uh, first Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In these words it's as though Peter cannot contain himself. He is bursting with praise and thanksgiving. And the reason for it is the saint's inheritance in heaven. The saints of God have an inheritance in glory. When Peter refers to that inheritance being reserved, uh, really what is meant there is that it has been secured in the past. The work that Jesus Christ has done in the past has secured that inheritance in glory. At at a point in history, it has happened. It's past. We look back to it. And it is now secured forevermore, never to be lost. It's reserved. Just think for a moment tonight, child of God, what it means for you to have this secured, incorruptible inheritance in heaven Oh, does it not make what you have here on earth so insignificant there is no one and there is nothing that can take this inheritance away from you no matter what you have here below you can lose it all no matter what it is it's all perishable it's corruptible it's corrupted But here is an inheritance incorruptible that nothing can diminish in any way. No trial, no suffering, no persecution, not even your own remaining sin can in any way expunge your right to this inheritance. This is an immense spur to thanksgiving. Oh, the greatest possession that is known, that can ever be known to any creature And it's all yours in Christ. The greatest prospect. All of it yours in Christ. What a cause for thanksgiving for the child of God. But one other aspect of the gospel to mention before we move on from this reason, this primary reason for thanksgiving. And it's this, the union of the believer with Christ is a cause of thanksgiving. This last aspect is very prominent in what Paul is teaching the Thessalonians. He takes that ultimate affliction that every man must undergo, death itself. And he presents it as the very cause of rejoicing. And the grounds for that rejoicing over death is that the child of God dies in union with Christ. Look at verse 14 of chapter 5 here. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, I think it's it's chapter 4, sorry. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. It's our union with Christ that truly forms the basis of all of the other gospel blessings. It's because we are in union with him. In one sense, our old nature has died In Christ. In his crucifixion. The new man in a sense was raised in him. In Christ. In his resurrection. We are complete in him. We considered in our recent Lord's Day evening. That when we looked at Christ as the second Adam. That we were united to him as our representative. As the representative of every one of the elect of God. The one who stands in our place. We are then united to Christ. That union that we have then with Christ is the fountainhead of all of the other blessings of the gospel. This perhaps by itself is is indeed the greatest cause for rejoicing. If you have been saved by grace tonight, this is the platform from which you will sing God's praises. It is your union with Christ that will cause you to rejoice evermore. That will give you a ground, a basis to give thanks in everything. These blessings of the gospel, child of God, they're immense. They are a cause of unspeakable joy and they ought to animate our every action. Every thought should be in captive to this great fact that you have been redeemed. You've been born again. Bring it to the front of your minds. That, friends, is a cause for great rejoicing. That is is the very seat of our thanksgiving. The gospel is the primary reason for thanksgiving. But moving on and returning back to our text in verse 18, we see that God works out our salvation through every trial and affliction. The text reads, for this is the will of God concerning you. Now we're working backwards as it were through the text. And here we move from the immediate experience of salvation by the child of God to the overarching sovereign will of God operating in his acts of providence. And the first thing to see here is that everything that happens is the will of God. Everything that happens is the will of God. The text puts it like this. This is the will of God. We're working backwards towards the exhortation at the beginning of the verse because a proper understanding of this providence of God and the the way in which he operates as the sovereign, supreme ruler of all the universe, of all creation, it's necessary for the command to give thanks in everything for that to make sense to us. That God is indeed sovereign (coughs) is a fact that needs no proof. The word of God itself abounds with such statements of fact. God is sovereign. Our own Westminster Confession of Faith asserts the fact of God's sovereignty. In chapter 3 of the Confession, we read there that God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet, So as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. We're not going to pick this apart in detail tonight, but briefly just note God's will has been ordained from eternity. It was fixed before the first act of creation. We have no concept of eternity, really, as finite creatures. We talk of being from eternity and to eternity, really that's an oxymoron, it doesn't make any sense, you can't have from eternity. Eternity didn't exist in a point of time, but these things are above our minds. The point is this, God's will has always been. We see that it's unchangeable. God doesn't react to circumstances. He doesn't doesn't suddenly see a circumstance arise and somehow change and try to adapt. No, God has ordained. He has decreed the circumstances as well. But importantly, God is not the author of sin. There's something of a mystery here. God has decreed all things, everything that takes place, but yet he is not the author of sin. We apprehend that by faith. We don't try and prove it by philosophy. God is not the author of sin, meaning that evil men who commit evil deeds are accountable for their evil deeds. But God has sovereignty even over the fact of those deeds. That should be sufficient for our purposes here this evening. Here's the point nothing happens that is outside of God's knowledge, God's control, God's design everything that happens is god's will but not only that everything that happens is only ever for the good of the child of god and everything give thanks for this is the will of god in christ jesus concerning you more precisely it's the it's for the good of his own people that's who benefits from everything that takes place now, the language here suggests that it is not the decree of God taken as, the, as a whole, as one single decree, which is probably the correct way of thinking of God's decree, but rather what's in view is how that works itself out in the life of individual believers. So we can park the idea in our minds that this decree was laid down in eternity before time existed. But what's in view here we can understand is how that works out in day-to-day life. How it works out in all the circumstances of your life. Every step you take, every breath you take. The operation of that sovereign will of God as it impacts his own people is stated clearly by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1. We read there, in whom also, speaking of Christ, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, there's our inheritance again, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now see here how the inheritance that we were considering a moment ago is directly attributed to this purpose of God. God has decreed, child of God, that you will have an inheritance. He has predestinated the child of God obtaining that inheritance through Christ. And he has decreed it from all eternity. We see it firmly stated in Romans 8, 28. These are familiar words, comforting words. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God To them who are the called according to his purpose. This cannot be more explicit. It can't be more direct this evening. All things, everything that happens works together for our good. And that is because, all because of that eternal, unchangeable purpose of God. We see that purpose of God in relation to his people in these terms in our chapter here. First Thessalonians 5, look at verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. God hath appointed us to obtain salvation. He's decreed it's going to happen. If you're saved tonight, that's the reason why. The salvation in view here is not that part of salvation that we would refer to as conversion when we speak of someone having been saved or uh, we speak of the, the moment or the day of our salvation. Rather what's in view here is that ultimate, that final consummation of the entire salvation, body and soul, united and glorified in heaven, taken to be forever with Christ. It's that full, final accomplishment and application of our salvation, of all of the work that Christ has done, being finally realized as we gather, as we gather around his feet in heaven, as we take possession of our inheritance. We are assured then that all of the events and all of the circumstances of life are not only within this overarching providence of a sovereign God which they are but they are all operating ultimately for the good of God's people for the final salvation of every one of God's people but we see also that it is our union with Christ Jesus that guarantees that all things work together for our good Again, our verse says, in Christ Jesus. We've already considered that this union with Christ is a, a cause of thanksgiving in itself. But here we just need to note that this union adds further assurance that we are all under God's protection because we are united to Christ. It's not simply God's will that governs the affairs of our life, but God's will in Christ Jesus that governs all the affairs of our life we don't have time to fully develop the thought tonight but I would encourage you to read the passage in John 15 where Christ is teaching about this union using that picture of the vine and the branches. It's a wonderful illustration of that vital union that we have with Christ how we draw our very life from him as the branches coming out of the stock. Ultimately being grafted onto that vine in our regeneration, there is no cutting off from it. There is no being lost. And what Christ has in mind in his teaching concerning that union, it's not simply survival and no more. It's not just that the leaves of the branch grafted in won't wither. But rather as he puts it in John 15.11 These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. That your joy might be full. All things are under God's sovereign direction. They are all working together for our good and our union with Christ Jesus guarantees our perseverance and the fullness of our joy here on earth, and as we take that fullness into a perfect state in glory. Oh, for the Christian, these are precious truths, are they not? You know, in the cut and thrust of life, is this not something that we must confess that we frequently lose sight of? How many points during a typical day do we think of things like this? Such great and lofty truths as these. Or union with Christ. All things working together for good because we are in Christ. Or drawing the very source of our sustenance from the vine as we have been grafted onto it in Christ. Oh, do we ever pause for thought in the middle of our day just to think on these things? Every time we panic every time we get frustrated, maybe angry because of circumstances, because of secondary causes? Do we not tend to forget this vital truth that all things work together for good, that God is sovereign over all things? Oh, we all know the verse. We all get to it eventually as we go through our turmoils. But, oh, friends, what about getting it up front? What about taking each step? Knowing that every step is working together for your good in Christ Jesus. God is sovereign over all things. Not simply the big things, but all things. Really then, this thought, this understanding of God's purpose in the life of each of his saints is such a grand foundation for us then to come and see how these doctrines apply in the life of the child of God. Which brings us finally to the exhortation of the verse. In light of the gospel and God's providential care, we are exhorted in everything to give thanks. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This word here, in everything. One word in the original. It's the same word as we saw in Romans eight twenty-eight. All things. It encompasses every conceivable situation. There is no circumstance, no situation in life. There is no condition. There is no calamity that is outside of the scope of this command. In everything, give thanks. Let's just finish them with a few applicatory thoughts. Firstly, remember to give thanks for your salvation in Christ Jesus. Simple thought, but oh how important. It's foundational. Every time you pray, child of God, give thanks that you even have a right to pray. Give thanks that you have been saved by grace. This is the crowning blessing of all other blessings. There are no blessings outside of Christ. Thank God that he has saved you. Do you do that? For any who are unsaved in the gathering tonight, for any who cannot say, I thank thee, Lord, that thou hast saved me, then this is the point at which you need to realise this evening that none of the blessings and none of the privileges that we have been speaking about tonight are at all a cause of rejoicing for you. They cannot be. Because outside of Christ there is no cause for rejoicing. Even the blessings that you do receive through God's providence in nature, even the prolonging of your life itself, every blessing that you have received and yet remained a rejecter of Christ. That's not something for you to give thanks for, friends. That will only add to your eternal misery. For the unbeliever, the only way to this blessedness is to come to Christ, to surrender yourself to Christ, the fountainhead of every blessing, every cause of thanksgiving. To receive by faith the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Salvation then is the foundation of all other thanksgiving. Remember to give thanks for your salvation in Christ Jesus. But secondly, give thanks in the good times. It may appear obvious, but (coughs) ask yourself honestly. How often have you forgotten to thank God for smooth sailing? And everything seems to be going well, so well in fact you don't even realise that it's going well. It's just not going wrong. If it's possible for us to not realise that nothing has gone wrong, then it's certainly possible for us to forget to thank God that things have gone as they have gone. Often the good that we receive, it comes in the form of some calamity avoided. In that case, child of God, give thanks to God for all the things that he has spared you from that you have no knowledge of at all. All of those things that never happened to you because of God's grace. Thank God for them. He knows about them. Often when we pray, we receive an answer and then we forget to give thanks for the answer. We ought to pray for everything. We ought to pray for little things. And sometimes we pray for such little things that we forget we've even prayed about them. God answers and we forget to give thanks for them. But give thanks for answered prayer. Be on the lookout for answers to prayer. Remember what you've prayed. Don't pray half-heartedly. Pray sincerely and then go looking for the answer. And when you receive the answer, give thanks for it. This may sound obvious tonight, child of God. But I would suggest the whole verse sounds obvious. But yet the Holy Spirit thought we needed to hear it. (coughs) Isn't it the truth? Give thanks when God sends you good things that you didn't ask for. You know, when you fall in with someone, you have unexpected fellowship with them. Praise God for that. Some material need is met. that was a cause of anxiety for you. Things turn out better than you expected. Something you were apprehensive about. You did not sure how it was going to go. It goes well. Thank God for those blessings friends. In all the good things. Give thanks. But give thanks in all the bad times. This is perhaps the more difficult exhortation. It's difficult because the flesh rebels against it the flesh doesn't feel very thankful when things are going wrong. When all your plans have been scuppered. When instead of falling in with unexpected fellowship, some brother or sister or some colleague says something to you that bruises you. Don't feel very thankful then. The flesh is rebelling. But all that we have considered about salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, your inheritance in heaven, your union with Christ all that we've considered about god's will his providential care for you His working all things together for your good all of these things ought now to make it obvious to you that there is not a single situation in your life not one experience not one moment of one day even the worst of turns the most tragic of circumstances there is nothing left out of this charge in everything give thanks We see it in Paul's life. There's Paul and Silas singing in the prison house in Philippi. Singing and praising God. We see it later whenever Paul tells the believers in Philippi, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ? To die is gain? There's a penman of scripture who has received the message of the spirit that he has been writing. And he lives it by example. He tells the Philippians further in Philippians 4.12 I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, there's our word again, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. That's what it looks like to give thanks in the bad times. Well, in the true sense of the matter, we should say tonight, for the child of God, there are no bad times. There are only good times. Because all things work together for your good. Just some concluding thoughts as we close. I trust we've learned something this evening about the abundant causes that we have as children of God to give thanks. To return unto God our thanks. That great ground of thanksgiving in the gospel of Jesus Christ that assurance that we have that all of the circumstances of life are but gifts from a benevolent sovereign father who is preparing us to take up our final inheritance in heaven we close then this evening child of God friends in the gathering we close with this exhortation in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Amen. Amen. let stand for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee indeed this evening that thou art such a bountiful God to us. We thank thee that ever there was a Saviour That ever there was a decree in eternity that there would be salvation worked out for the elect of God. That ever there was an election of a people chosen for whom Christ would die. For whom the Spirit would draw them lovingly, tenderly, (laughs) irresistibly into that union with Christ. O Lord, how we return unto thee thanks this evening. We confess unto thee, O Lord, our proneness to lack in our thankfulness. Lord, our proneness to forget thee in the busyness of the day. O Lord, especially when we're in those valleys. O how we pray then that thou would work this thankfulness in our hearts this evening by thy spirit. For the things that are said that are of thyself, the words that have been of thee. That Thou would take them and by the power of Thy Spirit that Thou would sanctify the people of God this evening. And that Thou would give them great cause for rejoicing. Yea, Lord, Thou would bring to their minds day by day these great causes for rejoicing that they have. And, o Lord, for any that are outside of Christ and really have no cause for rejoicing but much cause for despair. Oh how we pray that Thou would work faith in them through the operation of thy spirit as they hear these words in the gospel and that thou would even bring others, lost sheep of the house of Israel, into the folds, that, O Lord, there might be others tonight and even throughout the week to follow and the weeks that follow, others who would close with Christ in the gospel and would have this great grind of thanksgiving and of (coughs) praise unto thee. Yea, Lord, that we would all rejoice with them, that there would be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Come then, Lord, we pray and bless us, we ask of thee, and receive of our thanks this night, for we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll close our service of thanksgiving tonight singing from Psalm 34 psalm 34 we'll sing from verse 1 to 10 six stanzas in all psalm 34 from 1 to 10 a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed God will I bless all times his praise my mouth shall still express my soul shall boast in God (coughs) The meek shall hear with joyfulness, extol the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, He heard, and did me from all fears deliver. And so on down to the end of verse ten, Psalm thirty-four, from verse one to ten. <coughs> God will I bless all. Time. we close in prayer (coughs) our heavenly father we pray this evening that as we lift now from this time of worship these words would ring in our minds but they that truly seek the Lord shall not lack any good help us Lord to be a thankful people help us Lord to rise from this place with this true attitude of giving thanks in everything because it is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us Come now, Lord, we pray. Bless our hearts, everyone. And we pray, Lord, that thou would put thy hand of blessing and protection and providence upon us. And that thou would be with us until we meet again in this place, singing thy praises, rejoicing forevermore, praying without ceasing. For these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.